Oh, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. I, of course, am Mr. Warren Hayes, and it is a pleasure to welcome you to another edition of this pro wrestling podcast where we go over nits, uh, bits and pieces of stuff happening in the great wacky world of pro wrestling right here on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes or on your favorite podcast application because the audio is out there as well in audio format. Listen, if you're watching this on YouTube, consider giving a like and a subscription here on the channel. I would appreciate that a great deal. You can even become a member of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show channel here as well. A little more support, a little more extra content for you as well because you get you get members only stuff available just for you. So ah, these are all great things that we can uh, do all together <laughs> just by showing a little bit of support uh, on, on the YouTube side. And, you know, podcasts, well, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, five-star ratings on Spotify, help out a great deal, help the podcast grow, really. And that's all we want, doing we? It's to grow and to improve and become better, right? Indeed, that's what we want. <laughs> uh, otherwise, you can become a member of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show Discord for free. That's not a big deal. You just hit the link in the description, come and join us. It's a good time. We have a lot of fun. We talk about pro wrestling quite a bit. Not just pro wrestling, sports, movies, all sorts of stuff. All sorts of interests get discussed there. Not just the pro wrestling, but do come and join us. It's a good time. Uh, also, check out my latest article over on VoicesOfWrestling.com. I, I wrote a CM Punk SWOT analysis, which was pretty fun to do. Of course, SWOT analyses are very uh, corporate-y, but I thought it was, I, I thought it'd be fun to do a little, uh, a, a little interesting exercise there where, uh, and look, you can go check it out and read it and enjoy it. I think it's pretty good. Of course, I wrote it, Voices of Wrestling, <laughs> VoicesOfWrestling.com is where you'll be able to find that. Of course, uh, I will also be here on Thursday for the Dynamite review. So if you subscribe to the audio feed or to the YouTube channel, you'll sure you won't miss out on that. I do that every Thursday as well. But tonight, we've got a lot of stuff to cover. We're reviewing three shows. New Japan Pro Wrestling Capital Collision. New Japan Pro Wrestling Collision in Philadelphia. And Impact Rebellion 2023. We're also going to talk about CM Punk. We're going to talk about the, the, the rumors of the AEW Saturday show. we got all that on the docket coming up. So folks, thank you for being here. Let's get right into the weekly wrestling inspection. Let's kick this off by talking about the AEW uh, television show. I'm going to be uh, 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 fishing around a lot on the. Um, I'm going to be fishing around a lot on the. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for on the Observer? There we go. <laughs> I was because uh, the, the, the Observer sort of summed everything up pretty clearly last Friday uh, when the uh, when the Friday when the digital edition came out. Um, so I'm going to read verbatim here uh, regarding uh, the reports on the AEW television show, which is allegedly upcoming regarding the new Saturday show, says Dave. What we know is that the July 8 Regina tapings at 6 p.m. Central Time. Since you advertise a start time at least 30 minutes before cameras roll, that would indicate... The new show, if it does happen, is now slated for either a 7.30 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern start time, most likely the latter. We are under the impression that this deal is not 100% finalized, but it has been talked about for months. 
So there you go. So, so that's uh, so that's interesting right there. Um, uh, so uh, I mean, this is again stuff that we kind of already knew about, and a lot of people were speculating with the shows coming up uh, in Canada. The one that one Saturday show that popped up being a TV taping sort of turning out to be what we expected. Let's continue. If we're not sure, excuse me, we're not sure if it's TBS or TNT, but if it's TNT, there will be a lot of sports preemptions. And if it's TBS, there will be some. <laughs> okay. It also means it goes head to head with major sports almost every week, including UFC most weeks and UFC pay-per-view shows 12 to 13 times a year, college football, all fall, Almost every major boxing show, every major sport at one time or another, and WWE pay-per-view shows nearly every month since WWE is trying to move its major events from Sundays to Saturdays as much as possible. <sighs> Hell of a sentence there, Dave. But we get the essence, right? It's like if if it's um, if it's on a Saturday, and if it's on uh, uh, you know if it's on TNT, there's going to be tons of sports. Plus, it's going up against a lot of competition, a lot of sports competition over the weekends. The original idea for the show was a two-hour show that would have equal the star power of the Wednesday show. Of course, until it's announced, nothing, nothing is official. We've heard talk of a June start, but there are no TV tapings on Saturdays announced yet for June. Obviously, the working plan is for the show to be rolling by July 8th at the latest, and I don't see the big debut episode of a new show being in Regina. I don't know what Dave has against Regina, capital of Saskatchewan. I don't know what his problem is. Why couldn't the big debut happen in Regina, Saskatchewan? There's a proud people there living in Regina who would be very, very much inclined to getting a big debut show on, you know, the, you know in, in their neck of the woods. Nothing happens in Regina. Are you telling me they couldn't they couldn't fill up any venue with the announce of television cameras showing up in Regina? <laughs> I mean, you know. God bless Regina. Isn't Regina doesn't it have like one of the highest crime rates per capita in the entire country? It's like one of the top most violent crime-ridden cities in Canada but per capita, right? Per the number of people, I think. Crimes per person. CPPs. That's the, that, that, that's the acronym you're looking for here. <laughs> so, I mean, this is all very interesting. Um, and again, you know, I believe that anyone who is... I believe anyone who is complaining that... Um, Anyway, I believe that anyone who complains uh, about, oh, another television show, as opposed to not being, uh, uh, you know, not thinking if that it's a good business strategy, you know, if you have arguments to, 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 to support it and whatnot, uh, that's a whole other thing. Uh, but um, if, if the idea, if you're just, oh, man, another two hours, you know, EW's in the mud, they're going to overextend their products, like, like. I believe, and it's the same thing with pay-per-view length, I believe the amount of wrestling content out there, anyone who makes comments about it, 
is a is a content creator, is a reviewer, is a is a journalist. It's just someone who whose job is to watch all the wrestling or you know their self-imposed job is to watch all the wrestling and then they complain because there's too much wrestling i think that you know what i mean like i, I this is I, i'm firm on this and it's the same thing with the aw pay-per-views being allegedly too long and whatnot i really believe um uh that there's a um that there's a uh, uh that that's a, a, an issue that exists strictly for content creators okay um so uh so that's that's the one thing the uh the other thing is that um the the, the other thing in this regard is again i don't know who's complaining in the, because there's already you know, a company out there that puts out seven hours of, of programming per week and no one really complains about the length of that. No one ever says, you know, wow. You know, everyone, Raw is too long. That's a whole thing. That, 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 that's, a, that's a different thing. But um, <laughs> um, the, uh, but the, like WWE on a weekly basis, if you just count the, the, the three major shows and we're not talking about, you know, main event and, and you know, whatever ancillary programming they, they, they produce. Uh, it's seven hours of, of, of TV, live TV a week. AEW right now is what, three? And they were gonna add two more, so we're probably gonna be up to, 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 to five? And that's not counting, of course, the YouTube stuff. We're talking about broadcast network things. Um, like, again, it's, I, I don't see out of the gate an issue with it if there is an appetite for it, if Warner Bros, Discover Bros is ready to shell out the money for it, and, um, and, and, and they're good to go with it too, right? If they're like, sure, Tony. What it does tell me is, is truly and sincerely that Warner Bros. Discovery was not at all interested in the Ring of Honor brand. Because if Tony did negotiate with them and say, look, I've got Ring of Honor Wrestling that we could put on TV for one hour, for two hours, and we're good to go. Well, that's, you know, the, and, and, and Warner Brothers goes, no, but then they go, hey, why don't you give us two extra hours of AEW programming? Ah, now that's a whole different concept. That's a whole different story. And to me, that's that's indicative that Ring of Honor was uh, as as a brand just was completely uninteresting for um, for Warner Brothers, right? And I'd argue that that's absolutely the case still today. Uh, and that we're actually getting proof here is what I'm trying to say. We're actually we're we're absolutely getting proof because if Tony is like, yeah, I'll give you two extra hours, do you, or we don't know what the negotiations are. It was like, hey, do you want two more hours? Hey, we'll we'll we'll, we'll give you two extra hours. Can you do something with that? Or oh yeah, you want two extra hours? Here you go. But they want it to be with the AEW brand. So I I frankly, honestly, truly, sincerely do not see how Ring of Honor is going to end up anytime soon on Warner Bros. Discovery Networks in any shape or form, they clearly don't like the brand. They have no interest in the brand at the very least.
it's not what they're looking for. AEW, however, they feel very confident about it. I would even say bullish about it. Because if they're going out there saying, yeah, well, we will promote six hours of programming a week for this, uh, five hours, excuse me, five hours of programming per week. Plus, you know, hey, you've got, uh, uh, you've got your reality show thing. You've shown us that you can do, you know, outside projects go let's go let's keep uh, let's keep this train let's keep this gravy train going he seems very comfortable with that so i think that's very interesting now do i believe because you know i kind i i'm kind of with with dave though on this sign on this side here where it's like he's saying look on Saturdays, there's so much shit going on. <laughs> Basically, there's so much sports programming that has its built-in audiences for decades, right? And you've got boxing and UFC and college football and whatnot. It's kind of going to be a, a it's going to be rough to try and get some uh, get some uh, some 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 viewers into all of this, right? I'm like, holy smokes. Like, he's not wrong. He's really not wrong. <laughs> but hey, I, that's kind of where I am right now on this thing. I'm... I, because look, as it stands, like, like the, the you know, we'll probably get an announcement very soon. We're going to get a week of Tony Khan has an important announcement on Dynamite, the, the kind of stuff. That's the, you know we're going to get some kind of announcement soon. We'll talk about it more when we get there, and we'll we'll discuss it once the ratings start coming in. Once we get a a couple of a uh, couple of weeks of programming from this new show, which everyone is assuming is going to be called Collision because there was a trademark that was set up for that. Um, we're, we'll talk about it again. This is going to be this is going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting uh, 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 development, a, l a little in interesting wrinkle in AEW's business moving forward. Anyone who's going around saying, "Oh, they're overextending themselves," I think Tony Khan might be overextending himself. You know, booking four different wrestling shows at this point: Dynamite, Rampage, Ring of Honor, and. Uh, quote you know collision that's a and then on top of that like all his his regular duties uh in regards to AEW and the 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 soccer team the jags look i we all know the jokes we all know we, you know we, the, the, we all know what the jokes and the memes are that explain for his uh incredible superhuman stamina but even at that point that that runs out <laughs> um the, i don't think it's you know i think it's interesting i think it's a good uh sign for aw's business like i at this point i think i, I think the uh I think the, the the negotiations, the deal moving forward with Warner Bros. Discovery moving forward. I think the 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 new the the, the new licensing terms 
are going to be very much in favor of AEW. I think they're going to be getting a raise. So I think that there's nothing really from a business point of view that has me doubting that this is going to be a bad thing, right? I don't think so. But from a uh, from a creative standpoint, well, I mean, there's a whole other angle to this as well. Now, all this TV talk is fun and whatnot, but what does this, this all somehow manages to link all the way back to the rumors that CM Punk, Phil Brooks, is returning to A. EW. Again, we're going to go back to the to the Observer because again, Dave did a a, a wrap up of the whole thing. As reported here in the past two weeks, a Punk return is largely accepted. Expected. What did I say? Accept. Accepted. As reported here in the past two weeks, a Punk return is largely expected. It's a tenuous situation because the dressing room issues involving him have not been settled at all at press time. This was last Friday. The working idea was that the Saturday show would star Punk and that they would split crews to a large degree, right? This this soft... <laughs> I think it was the Fightful report that brought up the uh, the idea that, this, that it was going to be a soft brand split. Um, history does show that splitting crews never lasts long, but in this case, the idea is to ease the dressing room problems in the sense those who have not made up would be kept on different crews and wouldn't have to interact with one another. Still, there are going to be instances such as pay-per-view shows or Wembley Stadium and some television shows where it has to be. All hands on deck. Fightful then noted on that the June 21st show in Chicago at the Wintrust Arena as a tentative date for a punk return, which would be a Wednesday night dynamite show. Chicago would be the market to do so, and it would be after the end of the NBA playoffs with the final Wednesday night game scheduled on June 7, meaning a better chance to draw a big rating. Let's, uh, it's all, so these are all cemented reports, right? This has all been passed around. Everyone who's been reporting on this sort of, uh, sort of, uh, is, uh, everyone that's reporting right now is sort of saying the same thing, right? Now Andrew Zarian, on uh, on the uh, on the Observer, was it Observer Radio, I believe, said the following: This was he. This was this actually came out what like uh, yesterday, right? I believe. Yeah, it was on on the seventeenth. I know this is his quote exactly. I know for a fact that Warner has been told. He's coming back. He being CM Punk. They are very much aware of the situation. He had recently said he is willing to return to AEW and he wants to make it work. 
So the issue here is that he's willing to work with the elite members. I know as of the time I was told, and as of early this week, there was no intention on the other side. Maybe Kenny a little bit more than the Bucks, but I do know they do not want to work with him. And there's been no dialogue between the two sides. Um, uh, there's no dialogue between the two sides, either regarding sitting down and making this work. So, uh, so there you go. So Punk wants to do, uh, wants to work with the elite is what we're getting here right now. And he's been pushing for the meeting, but the word out there is that the elite do not want to work with him, right? So this is what's, this is what's going out here. Now, uh, there's been so much stuff and so much discourse and, and, and discussion about it in regards to, <clears throat> in regards to the, the, uh, in regards to the, uh, to the, uh, to news being leaked out and whatnot from, <clears throat> excuse me, from different sources, <clears throat> Dax Harwood on his podcast, so on and so forth. A lot of people using their media contacts to get a lot of uh, a lot of information out there that is maybe true, is not true. We don't know, but there's clearly a battle going on right now for public opinion, for being able to uh, for being able to be swayed onto the the, the proper side of uh, of public opinion. Um, and regardless of all of that, because it, it is happening, you know, and it, it is something that is happening and we're getting this, uh, the, this concept, you know, that Kenny Omega doesn't, you know, he may want to work with them, but the Bucks absolutely do not. And, you know, the, rep I'm going to tell you one thing, if CM Punk gets on a, gets on a microphone and starts insulting me, you know, and I mean, insulting me. And then I go to the locker room. I go backstage to the locker room to try and talk to him about it. And he swings at me because this is what happened in the brawl backstage, right? This is, this is what happened. If he insults me, I go backstage to talk about him. He takes a swing at me. Yeah, I'd be, uh, I'd be kind of very different to wanting to work with this guy. I can't say I blame anyone in this circumstance. If they're like, hey, Phil would really like to work with you. I'm like, well, I bet he does. Because don't, and, 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 and don't forget on top of this all, like regardless of what happened at All Out, like this, this is something that's been going on for a while, right? Because he went off script. He went off script in a promo where he called out Adam Page, right? When he was champion, when he had the belt, and he called out Adam Page, but Adam Page wasn't scheduled to come out. So what did he do? Adam Page didn't come out because he it, 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 it wasn't on the run sheet. <clears throat> Pardon me. Excuse me. I don't know what's going on. Um, it wasn't on the run sheet. He was just going, okay. I mean, if Punk goes on a promo... Starts and, and, and calls you out and you can't do anything about it because you're following what the booker's saying. The booker's saying, no, you can't go out there. 
also an issue. I can understand why a hangman might be pissed off and maybe he's part of this crew of people who don't want to work with him. Apparent, because apparently that created a lot of heat. And the thing is, is that CM Punk never, he never got reprimanded for that. He never got punished for that. N nothing. All that he's done at this point is, uh, you know, he continued down his, uh, he continued down the trail, went into All Out, won the title, did the gripe bomb, got injured in the process, was taken off of TV because from all intents and purposes at this point, the only reason CM Punk has not been on television is because he's been rehabbing his, what, his triceps, I believe is the injury that he has right now or that he had. From what we're gathering, he probably would have been back on television sooner than this, but now his, the injury's clearing up. He's, he's being cleared to go. So it really does beg to wonder. You, you really, it really, you know, you really ask yourself, I think, if what if Tony Khan had, uh, what if Tony Khan had uh, uh, um, disciplined him from the get-go, from the moment he he did, he went into business for himself with the Hangman Page promo. It really does beg to wonder, would the rest have happened if, the, if we had pulled back on, on, on old punker here? Could we have avoided all of this? And um, look, I can understand, I can understand that a guy like CM Punk might live in another category when it comes to being reprimanded for stupid shit that he might do. You know, like, you know, I've used this example, you know, if, uh, if Nick Camarado, for some bizarre reason, did exactly that, you know, swung at one of the EVPs or, uh, uh, or uh, you know, called out Hangman Page like that, unscripted on television, he would have been fired on the spot. I'm not saying that Tony Khan should have fired CM Punk, could have done something, but the point being is that a, a star, and this is something, you know, I'm not saying it's fair, I'm saying this is how it is. A star will always have a different type of... Um, a, a, a different kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, favoritism. There will always be favoritism. There we go. In that regard. He will always be treated a little more special, a little, more, a little different than everyone else on the roster. Why? Because he's a big star, because he's a, he's a draw, because of who he is. And that's the nature of the business in wrestling, and now, honestly, if we're being honest with each other, not just in wrestling, just about everywhere, right? If you work in an office and, you know, the, you know, the, the star salesman from the company, the guy who's like, who's been nailing sales records for five years straight, he's probably got a little more leeway to do things. He's got maybe a little more political sway to do things, to be a, a little more, um, to do things a little more off the books or, you know, than, than you would 
if you're just coming in and you're new and you're you know trying to make your own place. Again, not saying it's fair, not saying it's okay. If we're being analytical about it, if we're thinking about it in a, you know, in a more rational way, well, there you go. So it all begs, like I said, I can't help but wonder at this point, if TK had jumped in at that moment, maybe there's a bunch of stuff that would have been avoided. And now apparently there's been a meeting between Chris Jericho and CM Punk with Tony Khan as well. And apparently as, and this is, look, this is, I think it's Brian Alvarez who reported this, as uh, 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 um, neutral mediators, a neutral party, FTR. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you on that point. There was a meeting between all these people and, uh, and you know... If, Again, this is the type of situation where it's like, does Chris Jericho want to work with him or not? It's like, you know, if 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 I have a guy, you know, from my locker room hitting the uh, hitting the internet and outright calling me a stooge, because that's what he did, outright calling me a stooge, throwing me under the bus here. Uh, yeah, I want to sit down and have a talk with you because this shit ain't gonna fly. Then we're like, oh, Chris Jericho is having his meeting, but not the Bucks and not uh, Kenny Omega. But we don't know what this meeting is about. I mean, I'm pretty sure where it's Chris Jericho going, look, buddy, this can't happen again. I can't, I'm not going to be able to work with you if you decide to go off on tangents like this and just like go off on these scenarios in your brain. Look, I, I wrote an entire article on, you know, a SWAT analysis of CM Punk and the company and one of the things is that I pointed out in his weaknesses is this chip on his shoulder that he has this this impression that everyone's out to get him and and these scenarios that he creates in his head it's happened before and it's happening again this idea that people are just out to get him I don't understand so if this all leads to, so we have the meeting and so on and so forth. So if this is leading to CM Punk coming back and the only way CM Punk can come back is if we split the, uh, is if we split the, uh, the staff right down the middle and we have people on one show and we have people on the other show and they never mix. I think it's insane. I think it's nuts. And I don't think it's going to work. Why would you bring this man back if you have to contort your, if you have to create new business opportunities and have to contort your roster into this to keep the peace? This is not a good look. I don't think this is smart. Maybe in two years, we're going to look back on this and you're going to be like, Warren, Jesus. You were so off, uh, so so off, uh, uh, off the beaten track here. You uh, completely missed the uh, missed the bone on this one. Maybe sure, and you know, time heals all wounds, especially in pro wrestling when the spots are so limited. Uh, it could happen. 
It could happen that just everything comes together and everything's okay. That this was indeed the best solution. But I don't see how, I don't see how this is a positive outcome for, uh, for AEW. Like I, 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 and I don't see how squirreling CM Punk over on this side with all his, his buddies and having the, the CM Punk, you know, Mr. Phil Brooks, uh, Mr. Phil Brooks's neighborhood over on this side and having dynamite and all the rest over here is going to be, how does that create a healthy environment? I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know. Because again, if this, if this brand split is going to happen and they're going to have like two shows that don't intermingle unlike what you know what wwe does and you don't have the the these people mingling with each other naturally there is going to be resistance from these separate locker rooms if ever there is bleed from the other locker rooms or if tony khan says look x wrestler on dynamite you are now moving to the phil brooks show on saturdays but then phil brooks is like yeah well okay pay your dues kid like you know what I mean? Like this is not going to be a healthier environment on any uh, on any shape. It doesn't make sense to me. And and this whole CM Punk thing seems to by god, it seems to be creating much more headaches than anything else. It's it's interesting to see this develop. Don't get me wrong, I am into this. And it makes for good content, and it makes for in, for it, it. It makes for fun topics to talk about. It, 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 you know, things to think of and think on. But this is a wild, funky time right now, and and the path this this could still change multiple times, right? Because these are all reports, and until we get the confirmations, until we have the you know the calls that this is how things are going. Anything can happen at this point. I think it's going to be wild that we get to, you know, we get to pay-per-view builds. We're going to get to a point where we're going to have to start building pay-per-views. And the pay-per-views are going to be built off of the backs of two shows that will not be able to cross over with each other. It's CM Punk, man doesn't leave anyone indifferent absolutely anyone indifferent how about uh, just a quick note here uh from um uh from nick khan in wwe where he said that the company was uh, uh prepared to make cuts of at least 50 million dollars at the very least uh, in regards to the upcoming merger with ufc into the new company now owned by Endeavor. Nick Khan was, uh, he was on Light Shade, uh, Light Shade, Light Shed Live. Nick Khan gave a rough estimate of how big these expected cuts are going to be. Quote, if you look at what Endeavor was able to take out cost-wise from UFC in 2016 or shortly after that deal was done, we have the same expectation here. We think 50 million is a really conservative number. We have integration teams now. We're going to get those in shape. I think we'll have a better sense of it in a month or two. We're going to be pretty aggressive with them to make sure that for our shareholders and for our company, 
Our organization is as lean and mean as possible. And we're going to try to rely on the Endeavor flywheel to make up the rest. There's been hearing a lot of flywheels. Um, so, uh, so like 50 million... And he says it's a conservative number, so it's going to be higher. Anyone said, oh, it's ballpark. Like, he's creating the baseline here. It's going, to, it's going to go up. Now, we can all assume that this is going to be mostly be office staff, right? Like, this is absolutely going to be, this is absolutely where the redundancies are going to happen. That's where they're going to start cutting costs before anything else, I would assume. Maybe, you know, on the level of, Television production as well, though, because uh, again, would you really be running two different, um, two different, you know, production organizations? I'm not necessarily talking about specifically cameraman or stuff like that, but you know, the the gear, the roadies, the uh, you know, the road equipment. There's probably a lot of stuff in production as well that might get uh, might get sliced off here. However, you know, Tony, uh, Nick Khan did say that uh, uh, that the creative and production teams will be probably protected from cutbacks as they are considered to be the most vital part of WWE. Quote, the most important thing to leave, excuse me, the most important thing is to leave the product untouched. Untouched meaning if Triple H and Kevin Dunn want to evolve it, great. But in terms of cutbacks there, that's not what we're looking to do. Again, now, People who are outright saying, oh, see, he just said everything's fine. They're not going to do any cutbacks, right? They're not going to cut off any talent. They're not going to touch the shows. He said, well, we're not looking into that. This is going to be Triple H and Kevin Dunn's call. He's basically, I, I haven't seen any guarantees because I've seen people say, oh, he said that we're not going to do anything. Because look, I get... This is what he says. The most important thing is to leave the product untouched. Now, he didn't say, I want the product to remain untouched. He says, the most important thing is to leave it untouched. Untouched meaning, if Triple H and Kevin Dunn want to evolve it, great. But in terms of cutbacks, that's not what we're looking to do. So he said, if Kevin Dunn and, and Triple H want to move forward and you know they want to do great things with it, that's fantastic. But we're, we're not looking to cut there. But we just might have to. If we can't make it elsewhere. So like in any corporate merger, I don't think anyone should be surprised here. In the sense that, um, in the sense that he's going to, that, that people were going to lose their jobs. This was a, this is an unfortunate reality of corporate mergers up and down the board. It's like he says, you know, these integration teams come in, they do evaluations, they see what's redundant and then choices are made. So it's it's really hard to say if talent is really going to be affected or not. But, you know, I don't see a reassurance here from Nick Khan saying, oh, no, no, don't worry. Everything's, you know, don't worry. We are absolutely not touching it. And look, the number of times that these people, and I say these people, every one of these executives at WWE over the past, when did all this start? Like, Last November, when Vince started to force his way back, 
December. We learned about it in November and he started in December. They've been saying absolutely, you know, anything. And, and, and on the most important things, they've just, they've, they've been flat out lying. Just flat out not telling the truth. Or they've been, they, you know, they do the calls with the employees, with the staff, and they say, hey, don't worry, everything's going to stay the same. Next thing you know, Fis, Stephanie does the call, she says, don't worry, everything's going to stay the same. Next thing you know, Stephanie's fired. She's gone, excuse me. Vince is like, oh, no, no, I just want to come in and uh, to spearhead the, 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 the sale, you know, and get best value for the shareholders and strategic alternatives and all that. But I'm just here, I'm just here to, to, to pilot the, the sale. Not just here to pilot the sale. He's, he's back in control. And you can't trust a single thing that these people have been talking about. They, they have a horrible track record. And the, the statement to me is just vague enough. It's non-committal enough to say that talent is not going to be affected, that the production side is not going to be affected. Oh, he said, look, if uh, Triple H and... Because he's basically saying, if Triple H and Kevin Dunn want to do stuff, it's up to them. But we're not... I'm not looking to do any cuts, but, you know, it'll be up to them. To me, this deflection to Triple H and Kevin Dunn, who we don't hear much about in all these talks, which is fine. But a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the, you know, all of this and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the sale and sub, all of that and, uh, you know, how Triple H, Triple H's position in creative is a little iffy. People have been wondering what exactly is going on. You know, I mentioned it. And this might be where we're going at this point. Um, he he being um, uh, what's his name <laughs> Triple H, my, you know he's positioned as a uh, maybe more of a fall guy than anything else. He he's probably the, the you know I, that's what I had posited that he's probably being positioned more to be more of a fall guy than anything else, like the next John Laurinaitis, right? Whereas you'd think they'd be trying to protect him more because the fans rally behind the guy. Uh, his tenure as uh, head of creative while Vince was away generated fantastic business for the company. Uh, and people, you know, right now, WWE fans attribute the good things to Triple H and the bad things to Vince. But he's going to turn into to be a fall guy. It's going to be, you know... It's going to be him at some point that people are going to start pointing fingers to. Because it's not going to be Vince who's going to take the fall for anything. It's not going to be Nick Khan. Johnny Ace ain't back. I don't know. It's, it's an, it's still, he's still in a very precarious and interesting position to me. So... Basically, what Nick Khan is saying here is that, look, if there are any cuts that come from the talent side, that's up to them. It's, it, it, I find the statement is a little more loaded than what people let on. Got a little interesting little tidbit of information here on the cusp of a, of a huge stardom show this weekend. Uh, we had a... Uh, 
we, uh, we had the World of Stardom champion, Julia, in an interview with Tokyo Sports, saying that she would be interested in a double title match between herself and the current IWGP Women's Champion, Mercedes Monet. Um, and Monet responded to this, saying, oh yeah, I'll do it. She said, double titles equals double the Monet. Oh, and Julia Julia, because she spelled it wrong. That's I think that's part of her gimmick now. And she just mispronounces the name of her opponents, which I'm completely for. She says, this is my country now, bitch. And I think Mercedes is, you know, sort of slowly transitioning into, uh, into, the, uh, into this role here, into the, this thing about the country. Because uh, she tweeted out, uh, not tweeted, but she added to her Instagram, uh, she implied that she was looking to move to Japan. She wanted to live there. And also took a picture of uh, of a of a uh, of a, uh, a Japanese language school for English speakers in Japan. I don't know if she's in Tokyo exactly. Doesn't matter. But in the country of Japan, saying that she wants to learn the language, she seems to be acclimating herself quite well. I think she seems to be uh, enjoying herself and her time there. It must be very revitalizing for her. And now, you know, slowly getting into a match with uh, with Julia, which would be fantastic in, in a lot of uh, the, in a lot of minds of Joshi fans. This would be a, a bit of a dream match. Two of the top women in the world today, and she's currently renegotiating with uh, with uh, Bushiroad to continue uh, to continue wrestling. Uh, the Observer was reporting that uh, that the match against Mayu this weekend is the final match on her contract with New Japan and Stardom, Bushi Road, if you prefer. But uh, Dave Meltzer did report that they were in negotiations for one more match. Is this the Julia match that we're talking about, or you know, are we negotiating for a little more? Or maybe Mercedes just wants to she wants to go full freelance and uh, go all over the place because. She's been wanting to talk about. She's been talking about wanting to wrestle women in um, in uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro, up and down. Uh, like, I think she'd be. Uh, I think she. You know, look, she's clearly enjoying her time. She's absolutely having uh, having a blast right now, and it's probably more than scratching the itch. Right, because everyone was, oh, she'll be back by SummerSlam. She just, she might, but if she's planning to move to Japan, if she wants to live there, and if she wants to keep going and going hard, you know, if you're going to run the WWE circuit, I don't think you move to Tokyo or Osaka or wherever. You know what I mean? Now, this could be all wishful thinking on her part, on the, you know, on uh, on her Instagram, like she didn't say officially. You know, I am moving here. She didn't take a picture of her residency or whatnot. You know, just, you know, it'll be a little more complicated than that. But she's nonetheless very excited at the prospect of of, of working Japan and continuing to work Japan. So why wouldn't she? I think there's a little more than just an itch she wanted to scratch. Is the point I wanted to make? I think it's a little more of just like, hey, I want to go see how I'd fare here. I think she's faring. Very well. 
I'm pretty sure Bushiroad is happy with the results uh, that she has generated as well from uh, North American uh, crowds. Um, the, you know, the influx of uh, of new members and uh, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm. I think there's a lot of uh, I think there's a lot of good in this for her, and I think it's a. I think she's uh, she's clearly on a path that she's happy. She wants to continue, and uh, you know we're talking about one more match. Maybe there's a couple of more matches that she wants to negotiate, or again, maybe she just wants to hit the road and freelance proper and go all over the place. You know, she's she's trained with uh, with. Uh, Miko Satamora with uh, so you know maybe she want to hit up some Sendai girls I don't know I don't know what she has planned I don't know how the acting's going but she's doing pretty well for herself and if we get the match with Julia well that's going to be an all-timer right there that's going to be a big time that's going to be a big time match and I think it's about time that they do something with stardom in this regard like specifically for stardom on a stardom show because new japan has been reaping the benefits right now you know the subscriptions for uh for new japan world you know were uh were up for wrestle kingdom this year and then we have the uh, you know and then the the battle in the valley pay-per-view which also did good business and then the new she had uh, she had her match a couple of weeks ago at uh, Sakura Genesis. Why wouldn't she... Why wouldn't Bushi Road want some of the... Actually have stardom get uh, get a bit of a rub here. We're moving into the match with Mayu, which is, which is a good thing. And then we do another one with Julia after... Sure. I think, you know, stardom needs to benefit from this. Can't just be Nuge. And I think it's more... Personally, I think it's more interesting for uh for uh, uh, uh mercedes and stardom to have mercedes there as opposed to new japan because new japan again doesn't have a women's division doesn't have that doesn't have regular women's matches on the cards when mercedes not there's there's no one <laughs> you know so might as well have the joshi promotions benefit from this just as much as mercedes is going to benefit from it but you you get what I'm saying, right? Get her in there so she can benefit as much as possible. And that the that the promotions can benefit as much as possible. And since those are the places where you do get your women's wrestling in Japan, where that, you know, the promotions for that, some of the, the absolute best wrestling in the world happening in, 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 for, for women's wrestling is in Japan. I don't see why you wouldn't connect uh mercedes more with stardom at this point they need to get there they need to get this rub a lot more than new japan does in my opinion it will be very interesting it will be very interesting if uh to see this weekend if mercedes drops the title mercedes drops the title because now for the for a lot of us smart fans, now that we know that she's renegotiating, or at least that that's the report, right? That she's renegotiating, there's a bit more of a of a question mark on this match. Now, now we're sort of scratching our chins and going, oh, okay. 
So there is a possibility that she might lose this weekend. There is absolutely a, an opening here for this match to 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 not go uh, to not go on um, on uh, on Mercedes side. It's going to be very interesting, very exciting. We are now going to start reviewing some wrestling matches, some wrestling cards, because there was, there were, there was, there were three wrestling shows that I watched this weekend in uh, across the globe. Dorian E, nice to see you and welcome. New Japan held two shows in North American soil this year. This this year, this weekend. They had more than that this year. But this weekend, they had two shows. Uh, and the first we're going to talk about is New Japan Capital Collision, which happened on April 15 uh, in uh, Washington, D.C. at the Entertainment and Sports Arena. Not the Sports and Entertainment Arena, mind you. It's something different. Um, I thought this was a very good show. I thought this was a very, very, very strong show. Um, it was carried by a few matches, actually. But let, 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 let's just go ahead and talk about it. Let's break it down. Um, go over go over the matches. Give you a few thoughts here. Uh, first of all, even before we get into that. Veda Scott was uh, added to the commentary table here with uh, Ian Riccoboni and uh, Alex Kozlov. And she was fantastic. And I could take a lot more Veda on uh, commentary for New Japan shows moving forward. I like Veda. I like her a lot. I think she's an extremely good color woman. <laughs> um, and uh, she, uh, she absolutely deserves the spot because she's fantastic. Uh, and uh, thank goodness it wasn't just Ian and uh, Kozlov and his mush mouth uh, because that would have been dire. Uh, no, she was, you know, she knows the stuff. She does her research. She gets ready. She comes in. She's aware. She's full on. I liked it. I like her. So let's get into the matches. Started off with a, well, a 10-man tag team match. Let's just go ahead and call it a scramble. <laughs> Gabriel Kidd, the Jet Setters, which is the, the, the name of the team of Kevin Knight and Kushida, Mike Bailey and Volador Jr., defeated the Chaos Group of Chuck Taylor, Leo Rush, and Rocky Romero, along with Clark Connors and the DKC. Uh, <clears throat> was a fun, that was a fun little opener that got, uh, got the audience really into it. Um, Let me see here. Yeah, there we go. There was some really hot offense throughout. And everyone worked hard in this match. Don't get me wrong, right? Like, I, I, you know, it's one of these typical New Japan openers. But this one worked pretty hard. It, it went hard and they worked well, the, 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 the guys involved here. Uh, I thought the best spot of the, of, the, uh, of the match was a doomsday drop kick by, um, by Kevin Knight and Kushida off the apron. I thought that was great. And Volador Jr. gets the pin on Rocky Romero. They're involved in a thing in CMLL. Um, yeah, like a, you know, a dynamic, well-worked, 
Hard worked open air, uh, opening match gets the crowd into it. And after the match, Clark Connors, who seems to have has, he seems to have had enough of the DKC and he attacked them brutally after the match. These guys came up together in the system. They're friends, so on and so forth. That's the story here. Why Clark? Why? Well, we'd find out a little later why. Dave Finley defeated A.R. Fox. I thought this was okay. I thought it was fine. Again, another well-worked, strong match here. I thought A.R. Fox looked fantastic. Dave Finley worked hard. Like, it was okay. I, you know, nothing really bad to say about it, but you know, I wouldn't, uh, you know, lose my beans over it either. After the match, Fit Finley cuts a promo about uh, Fit Finley, David Finley. However, that would have been really hell. That would have been really awesome if Fit Finley came in to cut a promo. But Dave Finley cuts a promo about adding savages to the Bullet Club. Not just pretty, pretty boys in t-shirts. And he officially inducts Clark Connors into the Bullet Club. Out with ELP. Down with ELP. And... Up with Clark Connors. So that's um, that's something. <laughs> um, that was unique. That was definitely a unique uh, little situation uh, that I was not expecting. Look, date. Here's the thing. First, first of all, the match itself, again, I, I thought it was fine. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people who are very, very sold on Dave Finley as the, you know, the leader of Bullet Club and, uh, and you know, everything new about him. And, and I'm not quite there yet. I feel like he has to, he has to win me over a little more. And since this is New Japan, you know, the best way for you to win me over is to you know, pull out the work rate, give me some matches that I can sink my teeth into and I'll be on your side, regardless of your your look, or at least, you know, a good look will help, but it's, you know, it's not necessarily the thing that I'm absolutely basing everything on. Um, I'm getting off track here. Um, you know, he he's, you know, he's motivated by this. Like, he is absolutely energized by this push, as he should. He's getting a massive push right now. So absolutely, he needs to, he, he needs to, you know, get all over this one, like tackle it, tear it down, make it his kind of thing, make, really make it his bullet club. Because as it stands right now, I still have trouble feeling him as the leader of bullet club. You know, I mentioned this recently and I'll say it again. I still feel like bullet club is lacking its crown jewel. Jokes aside for Chase uh, Chase Owens. It's it's missing the guy, like that special, special guy. But I'm looking at what they're doing here, right? I'm looking at what, uh, you know, at the, 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 the I guess the, 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 the booking marks as we're moving forward here, the little, the, 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 the steps that we're taking here. I, I think we're, you know, we're, 
moving on to, uh, we're absolutely moving into a new era of Bullet Club and we're trying to divest ourselves of things that attached the old Bullet Club to what's happening now. Look, getting rid of, not getting rid, but Jay White leaving New Japan is a huge, uh, leaves a huge hole in what Bullet Club had grown into, right? Now it really feels like we're starting over with a new crop of guys. And this has been, it's been a call from New Japan, uh, uh, from New Japan uh, 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 management for about a year now where Gato has been asked to push new guys, put new guys up at, you know, at the top of the card, you know, try, trying to see, can we expedite the, um, the Young Lions uh, um, excursion process? Can we make this go faster or so on and so forth? You know, there, there are all sorts of solutions to try and cycle new guys into, uh, into the promotion as people you should be invested in, like Shota Umino, for instance, right? Like Red Narita, for instance. Um, they're doing this with Dave Finley now. Look, Clark Connor being uh, brought into Bullet Club is also a sign of that, if you ask me. So we're really seeing some sort of next evolution, uh, next generation of Bullet Club happening right now. So it feels maybe a little strange for a bunch of reasons because as opposed to, let's say, when... <clears throat> Uh, AJ Styles took over Bullet Club. There was still a, a core of very solid Bullet Club members, like a, a good solid background team. Same thing when Kenny Omega took over. Same thing when Jay White took over. Now it feels like the slate is the slate feels practically clean. Getting rid of ELP is another uh, El Fantasma is another sign here because that guy is super charismatic and getting over as a babyface, like you could not keep him in Bullet Club uh, without him outshining the rest. So I think that's, and maybe the, he's a little more associated to the Jay White era. I mean, he's made a point of it. He had made a point of it leading up to his expulsion, I should say, where he was talking about, ah, you know, you're not the leader. You kicked out Jay White and I'm not sure we did right by him. And that's essentially the promo that Dave Finley cut on Saturday and Sunday too. He's like, we're changing the face of Bullet Club. I'm doing something new. This is my Bullet Club moving forward. So maybe we're going to have to grow into it. Maybe J maybe Dave Finley is the crown jewel and he, you know, he hasn't been polished off enough to just be able to see it. Um, Dominion is coming up in June. Dominion is, you know, it's the birthplace of Bullet Club. Maybe they got something big lined up for that. I don't know. I don't know. Or, you know, maybe Bullet Club transitions into another type of uh into another type of role within New Japan, but it's not going away. New Japan is still very uh not New Japan, but Bullet Club is still a very it's a merch seller. It still generates money for everyone involved. There's still bullet, you know, there's Bullet Club in Impact. There's Bullet Club in AEW. Like, it still exists. It's still a thing. They're not doing away with it. Absolutely. I'm just not, I, I, I'm not sold entirely just yet on Dave Finley. 
But I think he's got it. Like, I, I think he's he's going to grow into this. He's going to get confident. And what he needs are the big-time matches. And he needs to make those matches his own. Because we know he's able. We know he's capable of having great matches. I mean, the one with AR Fox was not great. was fine. was good. Strong effort. Enjoyable. But it's not one where it's like, yeah, okay, here we go. Dave Finley. It's not it. Now, as for Clark Connors, well, I, you know, this is an upgrade for him. Instead of being lost in the shuffle of, you know, all of the uh, recent dojo guys being brought up and getting pushes, he's abandoning the, what was it, the safari dude uh, thing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That was the thing, right? Big game hunter. <laughs> getting rid of all of that. I'm glad he's getting rid of it. I didn't quite like it. I'm, you know, not unlike Alex Coughlin getting rid of all the goofy android uh, getup that he had. Now he just has a, he just has a mask and I think that that's fine. Coughlin, anyway, we're going to talk about Alex Coughlin in a bit. But I, you know, I feel that this might do good for him. I feel this will be a good thing for, um, for 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 Clark Connors, gonna make sure he's not uh, just left out in the dark here. Being in Bullet Club, maybe he'll be the new pin taker instead of Chase. Then we had the New Japan World TV Title Match where Zack Saber Jr. successfully defended it by defeating Filthy Tom Lawler in a fantastic match. This was a match that had me out of my seat. I thought this was great. I thought this was absolutely fantastic because both guys, here's what, both guys are reflections of each other in in very similar ways. I wouldn't say, like, they're not exact carbon copies. They're not clones. But they're, they're they definitely play off of each other and each other's strengths. One guy is absolutely, both guys are cocky, Good senses of humor, you know, they're very sarcastic. Both guys are, have great grappling backgrounds. and But you know, the thing that makes them, like, uh, that makes them different from your, your typical run-of-the-mill catch-as-catch-can wrestler is that both of these guys understand the showman aspect of pro wrestling. They understand the, you know, that you can't just grapple for grapple's sake. It's going to bore people to tears. You got to add a little pizzazz into it. And this is what we got here. Because what we had, if I, I went in the Discord after I saw this match, and I said, more matches like Zack Sabre Jr. versus Tom Lawler, please. Because what you got is, because what you get here are two guys who are master grapplers and doing the grappling thing, hitting the, hitting the mat and, and, and twisting each other into knots and in and out of holes, the, 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 the transitions and, and blocks, and they're doing it all. But with flair, with an entertainment value, knowing that the audience that's watching you right now should not be bored. And they pulled off a fantastic match. Now, I'm pretty sure this is going to end up being one of these matches where rating scales don't work. Because, look, I don't know, we'll probably see in a couple of days how much, 
how, how many stars Dave is going to throw at this. But I don't think he's going to give it a five-star rating. I couldn't even say this is a match of the year myself. But I'm looking at this and I am thoroughly entertained. I'm looking at this and I'm like, look at these two guys who complement each other very well, who understand how to be a fantastic pro wrestler, a fantastic worker, plus a great entertainer within the scope of a match. This was fantastic. Wrestling, counter-wrestling, grappling, all to the end. Of course, we got some power moves. We got the Michinoku driver at some point. So on. But this was great. And I recommend this. Even though I'm not, I'm not, I, even though like this will not be on a match of the year list for me. I cannot but not recommend it. I think everyone should watch this match. It was a blast. Tom Lawler is fantastic. We know Zach's fantastic as well. And I know people get a little, you know, this is something that I'm starting to hear more and more about people getting a little unnerved. Oh, well, you know, they always go to the near time limit, right? Because the, 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 the world, the TV title matches are all 15 minute time limits. Oh, they always get so close, you know, but then that, uh, you know, the last minute they get the pin. It's like, who cares? I, it doesn't bother me. I like the time limit. I like the sense of urgency. I don't care if they go time or Zach gets the win. Zach should be getting the wins. He's the champ. He's looking great in the process and he's elevating the title in the process. Everything's working. He's going to face Jeff Cobb now at uh, Duntaku in a couple of weeks. It's great stuff. No, it's not a title for youngins as they said it was. No, absolutely not. But I'm going to tell you, Right now, I couldn't see, I couldn't see this title performing better at this stage right now than with anyone other than Zack Sabre Jr. Like, the, you, now that you've seen a stretch of Zack defending the title, how was this not the perfect choice? The title feels fun, it feels fresh, you... No one, I, I have not seen anyone watch a New Japan show and then go, oh, it's a TV title again. No, no one. Are the matches all five-star classics? No. I haven't been any duds, I'll tell you what. Anyway, go check it out. Then we had Tomohiro Ishii Defeating El Desperado in a fa another fantastic match. Back to back. Just fantastic matches. No shocker here. Two of the two of the most unsung workers on the New Japan roster. Well, I don't think... Is Tomohiro Ishii an unsung worker? I don't think so. I think anyone who follows New Japan, pro wrestling from Japan, know who Tomori, Tomohiro Ishii is and how much of, a, of an MVP he is. Maybe, you know... Okay. El Desperado, I don't think he gets the flowers that he deserves, though. I think he's starting to. I think there's a very vocal contingent of people who are suddenly realizing that El Desperado is the shit. This match ruled. It was brutal. A fight. Power slams, power bombs, spine busters, Germans. German suplexes is what I mean. 
You, can, you even bought into the fact that at some point, El Desperado was just about ready to pull a win off here. Because he goes for a pinche loco and he lands it, but he says, oh, this is Tomohiro Ishii, I gotta land a second one, that was his mistake. Ishii fought out and tackled him with a headbutt, <laughs> which is great. Enzigiri, huge lariat, and the Brain Buster got the win. Just... You like two guys beating the shit out of each other? That one's, this is one for you. Again. Just a great match. Fantastic. Juice Robinson was supposed to fight Fred Rosser, but uh, Robinson attacks Rosser during Rosser's entrance. Beats the tar out of him. Apparently, Fred Rosser had been talking about Tony Storm on social media. And, uh, well, Juice didn't like it. He says, keep, keep my wife's name out of your mouth. He pile drives him on the stage. He whips him with a belt. Robinson even punches the ref and beats him up. And now, this apparently this is Juice's thing. Because he does it again on Sunday night. Uh at the Philadelphia show, he has a stack of quarters. He's, he pulls out of his pants a stack of quarters with his left hand because he's, he's, a, he's a southpaw. And he, he wallops uh, Fred Rosser with the stack of quarters. And the quarters just like, they, they fly everywhere. It's a hell of a visual. I'm not going to lie. And, you know, apparently being hit with a stack of quarters, you know, like a, Apparently it hurts like hell. I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Don't have a point of reference. Plan don't plan on having one either. And I'm not gonna go out into the field to test that one out. But he the the when he he connects the quarters is they just fly everywhere into the light. They just the hell of a visual. If this is Juice's new thing, I can get behind that. I think it's cool. he gets beat up with a chair over and over and it's it's just a, 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 a he bleeds just a brutal beatdown by rock hard juice robinson the match gets thrown and on top of that juice gets suspended because he punched a ref i guess i don't know i didn't know punching referees in new japan was a suspensionable offense is that why it's probably not it's probably because of the whole thing that he did because of the whole you know because of all of his actions. Because there's been guys, referees in New Japan, they get uh, they get fucked on quite a bit. <laughs> it happens quite often and guys don't get suspended. So, so the little angle going here. Then we had Tetsuya Naito and Hiromu Takahashi taking on Yoshinobu Kanemaru and Sanada making his first North American appearance as IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. But this was fine. This was all right. Uh, you know, felt a little like, uh, felt a little bit like, um, like a, 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 a Road 2 match. It was all right. I got, I don't have many much, many much thoughts on it. Um, I'll tell you, you know, Sonata's, 
Sonata looks like a champion. You cannot take that away, but I don't know if it's the the the, the feel of the venue. I don't know. He didn't he didn't come across as this inevitable star, though. You know, he don't he's got charm, he's got the looks, he's got the build, he's got the talent. But yeah, as I mentioned after the Sakura Genesis show on that review. I feel like the jury is still out on Sonata. In my case, he absolutely still is. And from what I saw uh, at uh, at the uh, Capital Collision show, I didn't see anything that made him stand out necessarily. Now, again, he's like, what, third or fourth from the top? It's a tag team match. He's, they're third from the top. It's a tag team match. They get the win, he and, and Kanemaru over Hiromu and, and Naito. It's more of a road to thing than a you know a, a, a singles match where he absolutely has to shine, right? But uh, at the same time, it didn't do anything to convince me otherwise. So we're still going down that uh, down that path here. We're still setting up Hiromu uh, Hiromu versus Kanemaru and Hiromu versus Sonata, which are upcoming. Uh, Hiromu and uh, Kanemaru, I believe, is a match that is going to happen on the Road 2 show for Dantaku, on a Road 2 show to Dantaku, and uh, Sanada and uh, Hiromu will be headlining the Dantaku show. Naito doesn't have much to play with right now. I know there's a, there's a pretty good theory running around that Naito might be the guy to challenge Sanada next. You know, having the LIJ guys go after uh, the guy who left them high and dry. I can buy it. I can even buy uh, Naito winning uh, winning the, the belt off of Sonata. Like, this is not going to be Sonata's defining uh, run. This is the one where we dip our toes in the water, we try some stuff out, and we see what happens. I can absolutely see... I could see... Look, who do you put as your champion... Post for 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 the G1 because the G1 is coming up, uh, you know, it's coming up in a couple of months in July. So who's your champion after Dantaku? Because Dantaku is going to be the last big show until the tournament starts. Do you keep it on Sonata? Be that'd be a bold move because then that would practically guarantee that Sonata would be headlining. Wrestle Kingdom, which again I would feel is a bold move. So I could see, I could see us leaving Dantaku, not Dantaku, Dominion in June, with uh, Naito on top, and him entering the G1 as champion, and you know, it's I could absolutely see that. And then you have Sonata in the mix, who again can be a contender in the G1 again this year, but taken a little more seriously because he did break through the ceiling, right? Lots of interesting things to think about. And we had the New Japan Strong Openweight title where Kenta successfully retained his belt against Eddie Edwards. I'm going to tell you, this match... This match did not hit with me. It didn't connect. Um, 
I mean, there's strong exchanges. The work is strong. Again, in this, I can't say that, you know, these guys were phoning it in or whatever, but the luster isn't there. And maybe it's because of where these guys are landed in their careers. You know, I've, you know, I know a lot of people still get very excited in regards to Kenta and I don't know. And it's weird. It's weird when you think about this, like, you know, Eddie Edwards was a Noah guy, right? He wrestled in Noah in the mid 2000s. Uh, was it the mid 2000s or late 2000s? John a blank. And Eddie Edwards was a Noah guy. Kenta made his name in pro wrestling Noah. So we we're, so we have a a Noah match in New Japan in the year of our Lord 2023, which is wild. Uh, and you know I've you know I've talked about Kenta a couple of times. You know I I he's adapted his style. This is not the Kenta that once was. And I actually feel like I actually feel like this is a guy who phones it in sometimes. I don't think he phoned it in on uh, at the show, but I don't think he put in his tip-top best effort either. I think he worked well with Eddie Edwards. I think there were some pretty interesting spots and whatnot, but the, the match didn't connect for me. I'm not saying it's dull. Just saying it didn't, it didn't have the shine. I was uh, distracted. Ends with a ref bump that leads to Kenta low-blowing Eddie Edwards and whopping him with the belt. Then landing the GTS for the win, so... I don't know. I'm uh, I'm very low on Kenta these days. But I'm not low on the main event where Aussie Open defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada and the Motor City Machine Guns to become the new New Japan Strong Tag Team Champions. Champ champs are our boys, Aussie Open in New Japan right now. And what a fucking main event it was. This was top notch. Absolutely great, fantastic work by everyone involved. Maybe outside of Hiroshi Tanahashi. I cannot help but think that Tanahashi's dealing with stuff. I think he has issues. I think he's ha- I think his health issues. Uh, his body's catching up with him. He can't go as hard. He can't go as quickly. I think this was a little smoke and mirrors here to get him on the show with Okada. I think it's also a good way to keep Okada busy, like in some sort of high-profile position, but not in a singles spot. And having Tanahashi around, same thing, and Tanahashi can doesn't have to work the entire match. I feel like there was some smoke and mirrors here. But look... Aussie Open and the machine guns. Holy shit. This this stuff delivered. Just absolutely great stuff. And again, Kyle Fletcher, and this this turned into the joke of the weekend, does an Orihara moonsault again, but instead of splitting his head open on the rail, he just lands gut first on the rail. So, anyway, we'll talk about it in a bit, but... uh, just fantastic stuff. And they won again. So every time Kyle Fletcher screws up a, 
a Norihara moonsault onto the railing, they win a championship. It's a good sign. <laughs> and the Motor City Machine Guns, here's the thing. And then I, you know, we watch them at, in, at Rebellion uh, the next night and they're just fantastic. And they have always been fantastic. What a smooth as butter tag team. Like in the very definition of two guys working together, connecting and working their matches as a duo, doing combination moves. and work. They're phenomenal every time. And they've been at this for a long time. And they just don't seem to slow down. It's, they're, they're inhuman. They're both, aren't they like around two decades in pro wrestling at this point? Shelly and Sabin? It's just crazy. But I love the machine guns. I thought this was, this was a fantastic match. And in regards to, to Okada and Tanahashi, right? They're, they being New Japan, they're starting to establish them as a, as a tag team. But these are two singles guys. Of course, they're going to be outclassed by these two top-tier tag teams, the Motor, Machine, the Motor City Machine Guns, who've been wrestling together for, you know, for as long as they could, you know, share a ride together. To Aussie Open, who are, you know, arguably one of the top five best tag teams in the world right now. And I'd probably put the Machine Guns up there. The... Their output has been phenomenal. Everyone here was phenomenal. So, coming back to Tanahashi and Okada, of course they're going to be outclassed. Of course they're not as smooth. You know, with Tanahashi calling spots and the, oh, should we do this? He's not a tag team wrestler. Okada's not a tag team wrestler. And you're put in a, in a match with four other guys who are tag team specialists. Everything worked here. This was a the natural outcome. It all made sense. I love this match. It was a great way to end the show. A very good show. Despite my little reservations, this was a very, very good professional wrestling show. Capital Collision 2023. In regards to New Japan Collision in Philadelphia, I can't be as enthusiastic. Uh, this match, uh, this show took place uh, the next night, or in the afternoon really. Late afternoon, early evening, what do you want to call it? Anyway, April 16, and uh, at, the, uh, at the old ECW arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Apparently, this was a record gate as well for New Japan in Philly. But this match was cursed. This was a, this was a, this was a cursed match because there were a lot of changes, not a lot, but a significant amount of changes that had to be made. Orange Cassidy... Stepped in for Eddie Kingston because Eddie Kingston has to go under, undertake a hernia surgery. Fred Rosser um, took Juice Robinson's place against Lance Archer in the U.S. title tournament because of Juice's uh, kayfabe suspension. And Homicide took Rosser's place with Rocky Romero. I think TJP was supposed to be on the show. He had travel issues. Look, just a complete mess. And the show, well, the show was fine. I think there's a couple of highlights. But as much as 
I think if you sit down and you watch Capital Collision, you will have a good time watching this. I can't uh, necessarily sit down and recommend that you watch Collision in Philadelphia. I don't think it was that good. I don't think it was a bad show. But I think there's, look, there was more good stuff this weekend that deserves your time more than this. Show opened up with uh, El Desperado and Volador Jr. defeating Delirious and Kevin Knight. Fucking out of nowhere, right? Look, I, it, it was fine. I'm going to leave it at that. Great work all around. Delirious getting his spots in and doing the goofy verbal, nonverbal stuff. And, but I'll tell you one thing. And I'm not the first to say this, but it deserves to be underscored. Kevin Knight has all the tools. Kevin Knight has all the tools to just be a, 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 a big time pro wrestler. God, this kid is great. He is fantastic. I want more and more of him on my television. And I'm pretty sure, you know, the, you know, him working with, with Kushida is probably paying off. Because this guy has just been phenomenal. And we had a pure rules match where Alex Coughlin defeated Tracy Williams in a fantastic match. Now, it was a grapple match, right? It was a, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of mat work. And if you juxtapose it to what happened the night before with Zack Sabre Jr. and Tom Lawler, these are two entirely different type of grapple matches. I'm not saying this one was not entertaining. It was not as entertaining. It didn't have that complete package of, you know, showmanship. But what these guys put on was fantastic nonetheless. Like, absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, Tracy Williams, you know, is... It, I'm glad that he's getting some TV time on Ring of Honor here and so I'm glad that he's still at it. Unheralded as far as his talent goes. Alex Coughlin is he's on he's on the cusp of of a big time uh, 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 push. When we're talking about guys like Clark Connors and Dave Finley and you know some of the, the some of the dojo fellas getting their pushes onto the main roster, you can feel that we're just on the verge with Coughlin. And he's using his strength as his gimmick, right? He, he, the, the thing where he's seated, he's, his ass is on the floor, on the mat, I should say. He's, he, and, and, and he lifts a guy into a suplex position while seated and then stands all the way up while maintaining the suplex. It's just phenomenal. Plus, he's got the ground game. He's got the submissions. He's got all the, the, the he's got all the elements to make him really, 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 really special. A big strong boy that I think is deliberately missing right now in pro wrestling. Well, deliberately. It's as if we were all. But I think it's the energy he brings and the the the, the way he portrays his strength is phenomenal. And that should get him over. He had a good showing at Bloodsport against Mox. I think that was, he had some big shoes to fill and big expectations because we were, you know, was supposed to be Davey Richards. And, he, you know, he, put, he was put in that position. There was a bit of unfairness inherent to it, but I think he looked good. In this match with Tracy Williams, I thought he looked fantastic.
And it was a great pures match, but pure rules match. I got nothing to say about it. Bad. I got good things to say about it, but nothing bad to say. Even when they're throwing them, they're throwing each other around with suplexes, power bombs. I love the spot of Coughlin. He powers out of a guillotine and into a pop-up power bomb. That was awesome. That's that's what I'm saying. His strength is his strength. I'm glad, and I'm glad he he's he's dumped the 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 over the top you know android right. That's how he calls him the android, over the top, you know wires and cables and noodles and whatnot. I'm glad he got rid of that shit. Now he's just a guy and he comes out just with a with a robot mask and that's fine. I wouldn't go any further than that. This is very good. Very, very good. I I enjoyed this tremendously. We're going to say hi to Mr. Fantastic. Welcome to the chat. Good to see you. We have Clark Connors. He has his first match as a member of the Bullet Club. Immediately defeating the DKC, his former friend. This was all right. (laughs) This was... This was all right. I, you know, I think uh, its positioning on the card was fine. It did what it had to do, and it advanced the angle. You know, again, Dave Finley took uh, uh, took the microphone at the end and did his whole spiel about, you know, him he wanting savages that it was his bullet club, so on and so forth. That's fine. This is all part of the angle. As far as the match went, well, I think it lacked heat. I think it lacked heat. You know, the DKC is a good little wrestler. But I feel like he doesn't have direction. I don't think he, I, 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 I don't think he's found himself in the ring right now. So he's a hard guy to latch on to. Because he, it's not that he's not talented. Because I, I don't, his matches don't interest me. There's something right now that I'm like, there's, there's, there's some presence missing. Look, wouldn't worry about it too much. This match was all right. It was fine. Uh, again, nothing much to nothing much to, tar- to to talk about. Bunch of spears lead to the finish by uh, Clark Connors. What is he called? The Rhino. Anyway, but he's Bullet Club now. He's wearing black. He's wearing he's wearing black pants. So he is a heel. <laughs> are we taking uh, Are we taking bets on what his um, Clark Connors um, Bullet Club t-shirt is going to be? Rhino Club? You think that? <laughs> Could be. And we had uh, the Team Filthy crew of Tom Lawler and the West Coast Wrecking crew defeating the TMDK crew of Zack Sabre Jr., Shane Haste, a.k.a. Slapjack. And bad dude Tito. It's a fun little match. Lots of good stuff. Good, you know, again, a match that where there was a lot of. I thought this was very good. Lots of great. Uh, lots of great. Again, another one where everyone works hard, gets their stuff in. There's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of shenanigans at first, just to get the crowd into it. A lot of nonsense, I guess you'd say. 
but the crowd was into it. Tom Lawler is such a great presence. That dude Tito looked great. The more, the more I see this guy, the more I like him. He's got an explosiveness about him, which is really, really uh, exciting. Endears him to me. <laughs> team Filthy, they land some great triple, the to triple team uh, attacks on, uh, on Zack Sabre Jr. specifically. Uh, and you've even got... Uh, um, bad dude Tito has a whole sequence where he gets to get his shit in. He he cleans house on everyone, ends with a dive and a blue thunder bomb. But uh, Tom Lawler uses the the uh, NKO TB for the win. I like this match. I thought I thought it was very good, very entertaining, a lot of fun. Then we had uh, the team of Sonata and Yoshinobu Kanemaru uh, defeating Rocky Romero and Homicide. I've got nothing for you for this match. I don't know. Uh, it didn't do anything for me. And these are all wrestlers I like. These are all wrestlers I like. This is why I'm a little concerned about uh, the uh, the Sonata stuff. Nothing. Nothing got lit up here. I don't know. Bit of a tepid, uh, bit of a tepid one. Orange Cassidy uh, defended, successfully retained, I should say, his AEW international title against Gabriel Kidd. I thought this was good, I, but... No, you know what? I thought this was pretty good. I'm thinking about it some more, and I think what really saved this match was the final stretch, the final, like the final third of the match, where Kidd is just like... He's pulling out everything to try and 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 knock Orange Cassidy out, try and keep him down, and Cassidy keeps um, uh, keeps uh, uh, kicking out of pins and getting out of submission attempts. And the thing here is that the, Orange Cassidy is continuing the story where his his fist is in pain, where his fist hurts, right? And he's um, so he's going for it. He, you know, he goes for the orange punch and it's not quite as successful because it's hurt and he hurts himself in the process. And of course, Gabriel Kidd is, is, tries to exploit it. So this is the ongoing tale of the international champion workhorse um, uh, uh, Orange Cassidy here doing his best here to, to, uh, to win with all his moves, but it's not working. Again, he has to use the mousetrap just like he did last Wednesday on Dynamite uh, to get the win. Because he can't, he, he, the, the orange punch is just not available for him right now. It's not, it's not working. He's in pain. So that's going to, that's going to be his story. That's going to be the part of his, his downfall in regards to the title. Because the hand, it, the hand just ain't working. But Gabriel Kidd, I thought looked pretty good here. This was a fun match. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I thought this was pretty good. And we had Hiromu Takahashi and Tetsuya Naito defeating Chase Owens and Kenta. This absolutely. Look, LIJ plays to the crowd. They do the, you know, they do shenanigans. They have some fun with each other. The crowd is into it. But this was absolutely 
a road to match. And one where just everyone was like, let's just go in and do things and go home. Nothing bad about it, but definitely nothing special about it. This, you know, over it's it's a low light of the show. But again, like not terrible, not like this was one of the worst matches I've ever seen, but it's definitely one where I'm like, wow, okay. This could have uh this could have gone differently. But the story here is that after the match, Rocky Romero comes to ringside to announce that uh, he and Hiromu are going to be working together to put together an all-star junior festival in Philadelphia in August. August 19th, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. Which is uh, fantastic. Uh, you know, Hiromu did the all-star junior festival in Japan. And now if we bring this over into North America, uh, into uh, Philadelphia, that's going to rule. A lot of guys here that could end up on this festival, uh, on this match, could potential for a lot of crossover. You know, they're going to they're going to feature a lot of New Japan strong guys. Of course, we can also expect a few AEW people, some indie stalwarts as well. But I thought this was uh, I thought this was pretty exciting. I think that's a, that's uh, that's pretty fun. It was a fun announcement. Came out of nowhere. Got the Philly crowd excited. Why wouldn't they? I'd be excited if I had an all-star junior festival in my town. And we had the uh, IWGP United States Heavyweight Title Number One Contendership Tournament match between Lance Archer and Fred Rosser. As we mentioned earlier, Fred Rosser was subbing for Juice Robinson, who was kayfabe suspended because of his actions the previous night. Fred Rosser came into the match taped up to the gills, like bang, banged up. Like, how was he cleared to compete? Yeah, no kidding with, with all this shit all over him. Um, this was this was a match, I, and I thought it was slow. Um, I know what they were going for. They turned it into a street fight. Lance Archer came to to do that. And at the end, send a message to Tony Khan and to tell his boy, Kenny Omega. And Kenny Omega has never beat me. He says he beat me, but he needed the Good Brothers to do that. And now they're in jail up north. Don't look at me. I didn't say it. But uh, the match came to an end when Juice ran in, despite the fact that he was suspended, with another fistful of quarters. And he took out Fred Rosser again. I wonder what they're going to do with this, with the Fred Rosser uh, shtick, because uh, the, they could absolutely decide to to run this on uh, on Dynamite. You know what I mean? Because because technically speaking, Juice is no longer under contract with New Japan, right? I mean, there's always the talent exchanges, right? But he's 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 an AEW contracted talent now. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is a rocky start to the um, IWGP United States uh, uh, title tournament. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it sort of deflated me a little bit. All right, and I didn't. I, it was all right, but I didn't care for it. 
Not that it was a little too plodding. Not that it was a little too, you know, I think, you know, I, I think Archer could have, uh, Archer could have turned, uh, turned it up a couple of notches here on the violence, on the speed. We know he's able to work faster or harder than this. I don't know. Maybe it was too long. Landed, it landed, it landed at almost 15 minutes, a little over 14. I don't know. And then the main event, where Aussie Open successfully defended their titles against Leo Rush and Tomohiro Ishii. I thought this was a very good main event. Again, another great match by Aussie Open. And I think, you know, this match really did pick up and you could feel the gears switching as this match progressed. And we can't speak enough at how motivated Leo Rush looks and feels now that he's with New Japan or doing whatever. Whatever is in the New Japan sauce, Leo Rush is slurping it up and he is loving it because it shows with his work. It shows with what he's doing on, uh, on camera. This was fantastic. I thought everyone worked amazingly. Like, of course... Ishii is in here. So and and then you have the you have the natural pair-offs of Fletcher and Rush and Ishii and Davis. And then Ishii, you know, the pit bull, right? The stout, like little the, the, the tank comes up to Mark Davis. Mark Davis is a full head and a half, higher than him, taller. And they just pound. Just go right after each other. And then in the match as well, you have Kyle Fletcher at some point. He's like, uh, should I do a moonsault? Yeah, I'm going to do the Orihara moonsault, you know? And everyone's like, no, don't do it. Because now that's the meme. That's the meme at this point. Like Kyle Fletcher, Kyle Fletcher, he can't do the, he can't do the Orihara moonsaults anymore without, you know, uh, risking life and limb on the, on the guardrails uh, on the floor. So he goes for it and then Mark Davis comes to talk him down. He's like, all right, fine, fine. But then he tries to do it again. Everyone's like, no, don't do it. But they all talk him back down. He didn't do it, which I honestly was very smart. Uh, just fantastic stuff all around. Great sequence as well, you know, where you have uh, um, Leo Rush landing a satellite DDT. I believe it was on Mark Davis. Tomohiro Ishii does the sliding lariat and then Leo Rush immediately comes down with the split-legged moonsault. Fletcher broke up the pin. Great near fall. Great sequences. You should check out this match as well. I thought it was fantastic. On an otherwise okay evening of professional wrestling offered by New Japan. I thought it was alright. Again, nothing to write home about. Not great. Not terrible, but between uh, 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 Capital Collision and Impact Rebellion, you can absolutely leave uh, 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 a Collision in Philadelphia off your list, if you ask me. Because yes, we are going to talk about Impact Rebellion now. And we are... Impact... Their pay-per-views are, generally speaking, impeccable. 
And that's the thing. This is what they're, this is what impact is most consistent on is that they, 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 they typically deliver on their pay-per-views. This impact was probably my favorite show out of the three I watched this weekend. And I was not expecting that. But this is what we got. We got a we got a show. We got a show that perfectly encapsulates how I feel about Impact, but also objectively turns out to be a great show. Something that if you sit down, turn it on, and you enjoy it, like just go right ahead, you'll be thoroughly entertained. I did not watch the pre-show. Now you have uh, Rhino and Heath Slater versus. I don't want to see that. I'm not. I'm not. You know, breaking my. Breaking my back to try and make it on time to, to watch a pre-show? No, 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 no. The show itself. The, 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 from the opener to the end. I think it was extremely good. And like I said, perfectly encapsulates my feelings about Impact. Because there's nonsense on Impact that I have n no interest in. There's stuff on Impact that I'm like, this, is the, this, this shit turns me off. But then they turn around and they deliver outstanding work, outstanding matches. So I'm like, okay, all of this is amazing. Let's go ahead and talk about it. I'm going to start with the Impact World uh, Tag Team Title match, which was uh, uh, which was fought under Ultimate X match rules so suspended from the middle of the ring and the team of abc the ace and chris Con the the austin and bay connection i should say ace austin chris bay defeated the motor city machine guns to retain their titles what a fantastic opener <laughs> what, what do you want from me you couldn't have started this match off any stronger this card off any stronger than this um Commentary was mentioning it and it bears repeating. This Chris Sabin is like, this was his 18th appearance in a Ultimate X match. He had won eight times previous to this. So they were establishing the veterans here and, and they acted like veterans. That was the story of this match here. That Austin and Bay, despite being Bullet Club, despite being the, you know, the de facto heels, I guess, you know, maybe that's not the case. I don't watch the week for week. But if you're Bullet Club, to me, you're heels. But they were fighting from underneath. They were being completely outclassed here by the Motor Machine, Motor City Machine Guns. That was the story here of this match. They're just being picked apart by Saban and Shelly. And even at some point, Ace Austin is doing a lot of the work because... Um, because the, the machine guns took out uh, Chris Bay's leg. So he could barely move. So Austin was basically running around trying to get rid of both the guys. There's this great spot where um, the Motor City machine guns tie up Bay and Austin into a grapevine. And Alex Shelley is hanging on. I believe he's hanging on to uh, uh, Ace Austin in, a, in an abdominal stretch. Meanwhile, Chris Saban tries to make climb up to, to, to get the to get to the ropes. Like they got them all tied. They have the boys all tied up. Fantastic stuff. I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is very creative. Uh, great series of dives by the uh, by the ABC later on the, in the match. Just fantastic stuff. And a fun finish 
as well where Ace Austin lifts Chris Bay like practically in the middle of the ring so that he can grab he just like gives him an alley-oop so he can grab the the, the rope and then uh, climb to the middle to take off the titles yeah he, he struggled to get one off but he still he still did it and Chris Saban couldn't make it on time to stop him great stuff fantastic opener I loved it nothing bad to say about it and these are great tag teams and Austin and Bay are just fantastic together what a great pairing new life into these acts too they still have the bullet club connection as well how is this going to play out with Jay White and Dave Finley there's an it this is what's interesting this is what's interesting and I know a lot of people don't watch the week-to-week impact I just said it myself I don't but it's still interesting to to look at the landscape here where New Japan and AEW and Impact all have ties with each other they're all connected to each other like a like a healthy wrestling business should have no I love the match I thought it was great there's a lot of uh, good to come out of it um, I can't be as enthusiastic of, regarding this four-on-three handicap match where the design, Alan Angel, Sammy Callahan, Deaner, and Khan were defeated by the trio of Dirty Dango, Joe Henry, and Santina Morella making his big, big, highly anticipated in-ring return. The match ends with the Cobra gimmick. Now I get it. We're in Toronto. I didn't say where we were here. I didn't even go through that. Toronto, Ontario, the Rebel Entertainment Complex. Which, by the way, I thought was a great look for this pay-per-view. With the with the um with the the, the you know the 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 trons all around. You had the screens. It felt big time. It felt big league. I enjoyed that. I thought the crowd stunk. (laughs) This crowd was so silent. But I enjoyed, look, I I enjoyed the the, the show. I think a hotter crowd would have done wonders. But anyway, we're talking about this, uh, but look, I don't, I I, I thought this, I I hated this match. (laughs) I didn't like it at all. I don't, and again, I'm not into the week to week. A four on three. Why did why four on three? I'm sure there were perfectly reasonable reasons for this. Uh, Sammy Callahan turns on Deaner after handing Callahan his old bat. Who I don't know. But you know, Santina Morella, Santino, Santina is another person I've been told. Santino Morella. I'll tell you what. Uh, is a um, his return to pro wrestling is not something I've been who was clamoring for this who was excited for this who was like I cannot wait for comedy wrestler Santino Morella to return oh the the Milan miracle Jesus Christ is 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 that all we're going to coast on that was like millions of years ago at this point now this done nothing for me. And you know what? I'm looking at Alan Angels. I mean, what the hell are they, what the hell is he doing here? 
hitting the indies, doing the grind, trying to prove himself. Hoping, hoping that AEW will open the door back to him again someday. But this shit stinks, man. This is this is this is bad. Did not like. Now, here's something that I should have disliked. Because it had it had everything for me to hate. Eddie Edwards and PCO in a what they call a last rights match, a casket match, essentially. Now we're all we can all do casket matches as long as we don't use the word casket, right? So we're all. This was what it was. And I was like, this is gonna be brutal, but not in the good sense. It's just brutal to watch. But it turns out it was brutal in the good sense. This was wild! I thought this match was awesome! <laughs> I was not expecting this. Because all this match was, essentially, and I don't mean this disparagingly, these were guys hitting their high spots. Brutally. It ruled. And then, at some point, PCO's shoulder pop, his, his shoulder, yeah, his shoulder pops out of, it pops out of joint. And they're zooming in on it like, motherfucker, this is disgusting. And then he tried, and Eddie Edwards probably knows it, but look, who cares what's going on? Eddie Edwards, like, double underhooks him, and he power bombs him. <laughs> This maybe it was to try and get the shoulder to pop back in, and at some point PCO's like, Rrr! and he goes outside and he starts whacking his shoulder into the post to knock, to knock it back into place. Ah, this this rules. All of this ruled. We get some some great chop exchanges. PCO does the moonsault. They fight up on the ramp. Eddie Edwards hits a tiger suplex. PCO's busted open. They're next to the coffin. Then uh, Alicia Edwards runs in. She She's involved in this in some fashion or whatever. Eddie Edwards' uh, wife. She has a shovel. She takes a swing. But uh, at PCO, PCO avoids it. Grabs the shovel. Clocks. Well, Eddie Edwards takes uh, 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 Alicia out accidentally. He super kicks her out accidentally. And uh, PCO wallops. Uh, Eddie Edwards across the, the 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 back with the shovel puts him in the coffin for the win. I thought that this was wild. Like I I enjoyed this thoroughly. Great momentum, great great pace to this match. Like it didn't. This was a 13 minute match. I swear it felt like half the time. This was a blast. A, 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 a great, a, 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 especially after the, the, the fucking Santino Morella match, this is exactly what you needed. That was great. And then to capitalize on top of that, we get a fantastic X Division title elimination match where Trey Miguel defeated Jonathan Grisham and Mike Bailey to retain his title. Now, Again, you know, as many of you know, we start with triple threats and I'm like, oh, that's strike one, right? But at least this was elimination. So at least, you know, it got whittled down to just two guys. Um, so, you know, maybe I wasn't fancy at it uh, regarding it at first, but this worked out fantastically. And Trey Miguel, uh, Trey Miguel eliminated both dudes, essentially. And uh, 
the the way that he eliminated Jonathan Gresham is a highlight spot. And I wish the camera crew would have picked it up better. This wasn't so egregious, but I, we have to point this out. The production on this stunk. There were so many spots where the cameras were out of position or that the cameras, the, the hot cams were completely out of position. It happened, it happened multiple times. It happened with Macklin when he was doing a dive. I'm like, uh, and Dango, I think too, multiple times where I'm like, why did they cut to this shot? We can't see anything. It happened during the main event with, uh, with uh, Grace and, uh, and Deanna as they're jumping off the stage and the camera, it, it, it's like the close-up camera. I'm like, what are we fucking doing? Production kind of stunk on this one here. But it, not to the point where I got completely out of it. And look, here's the, this is the one. This is the spot. Trey Miguel eliminates Jonathan Gresham when Jonathan Gresham has Mike Bailey in a uh, in a figure four leg lock, Miguel goes up to the top rope and he flies like a fucking rocket off the top rope with a meteora, lands square on Gresham. Gresham is completely out. Trey Miguel just rolls on top of him. Bailey is in the figure four still. He can't get out. He's still in pain. One, two, three. Uh, that was fantastic. And then Miguel just goes right into a figure four. He's like, he, you know, get the fuck out of here, Gresham. And he locks on a figure four instantly. I'm like, it's fantastic. Get some more, some more exchanges between him and, and, and uh, um, Bailey, of course. Miguel lands flat on the floor, flat on his back, doing a sunset bomb attempt off of the, uh, trying to get uh, uh, Mike Bailey off the apron. But instead, he eats the moonsault knees. Ultimo weapon misses uh, back in the ring and Miguel rolls up Bailey with a handful of tights for the win. I thought this was very, very good. I think the finish was a little... I, had we got a more competitive finish, I thought we would have had something really special here. But this was great. Don't get me wrong. I'm I, Now I'm being nitpicky. This was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. Again, another great match on this card. Let me get the Hardcore War match where Team Tommy Dreamer comprised of Bupinder Gujar, Frankie Kazarian, Killer Kelly, Yuyumera, and Tommy Dreamer defeated Team Bully Ray, Brian Myers, Kenny King, Masha Slamovich, Moose, and Bully Ray. And of course, the Bully Ray match is the fucking longest match of the show. Just 25 minutes in. Everything else was under 20 minutes. Most matches were under 15. But the Bully Ray match goes 25. The highlight of this match was actually before the match when Tommy Dreamer cut a tremendously emotional and heartfelt and sincere promo about his mother suffering a, a brain bleed earlier in the week 
being admitted to hospital, being unresponsive. It's an awful situation. I'm hoping, I'm hoping uh, uh, she's doing well. My thoughts are with the family. Hope it improves. Because it was really, it was a good promo. Very emotional. The rest of his team being very solemn and silent. You could feel that this was authentic. And then the match happened. And uh, yeah, it's pretty much exactly what you think it would, would be. A hardcore war match. You know, everyone comes out every... You know, it's like a Royal Rumble. Everyone comes out every two minutes or whatever. So it is meant to be a long match. But Jesus, this was plotting in places. Um, Killer Kelly comes out. She has a staple gun. That was another fun time. She uses it on everyone. She staples Moose's dick. Unfortunately, it's a work. I wish she had. Masha Slamovich does a senton off the top with a chair on her back. But there's a lot of waiting around. A lot of waiting around for spots and shit to happen. And here's something that I also find weird here. When Tommy Dreamer comes in, Bully Ray is like threatening to hurt Killer Kelly. Like he's using her as a hostage. Dreamer, if you come to me, I'm going to hurt. And he's holding her. And I'm like, why are we using Killer Kelly as like some sort of defenseless, defenseless maiden? She is a competitor in this match. You know, it's like who... What is this train of logic here? Who cares? And there's like a a V of submissions. Everyone does a submission on each other. It's like a chain. Bully Ray's goons interfere. I don't even know who they are. It's pretty much what you thought it would be. Uh, Tommy Dreamer's team get the, gets the win. That's all right. We, we can move on. Because we got... Two quality matches to wrap up this evening of pro wrestling offered by Impact. Steve Macklin defeated Kushida to become the new Impact World Champion. Of course, vacated off of the injury of Josh Alexander. Been doing a whole angle here with Macklin being just a bastard to Scott Demore and anyway, everyone else. But... Uh, um, this match was fantastic. I thought that I thought this match ruled. Kushida was completely into it. This is probably some of the best Kushida I'd seen in a long time. I don't. I, I don't remember seeing a Kush, seeing Kushida so motivated, as motivated as he was, as he was right here. Um, and you know his whole playbook of. Uh, you know, working the arm for the hoverboard lock. He teased that so many times and it worked. You know, sometimes it feels overwrought, but here it worked because Macklin was doing a great job selling that it was dangerous, selling that he needed to, that he needed to get out of it as soon as possible, whenever he had an opportunity. So Kushida's doing his best to be fast and wily and, and, and quick. Whereas, of course, the Clash of Styles here, Macklin is trying to do the complete opposite. We get a... Uh, we get a, 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 a buckle bomb by Macklin at some point. That follow, and he follows it right up with a Liger bomb. Just fantastic stuff. Kushida does the, uh, 
the off the top rope application of the hover lock, a hoverboard lock, which is also fantastic. That has Macklin just like scrambling for the ropes. Macklin hits the spear and the KIA, but uh, Kushida kicks out of it. Macklin jumps off the top rope, gets caught by Kushida into a hoverboard lock, and Macklin gets out of it by forearming his way out of it. Spicoli driver uh, follows, but Kushida hangs on instead of, you know, falling off or whatever. He hangs on after the delivery of the Spicoli driver and, and, and locks in the uh, locks in it locks the hoverboard lock um and he, he ends up on on macklin's shoulders who hits another spicoli driver into the turnbuckles but the hoverboard lock gets in again macklin lifts him for a super uh ki for the win look just fantastic stuff just a fantastic finish and macklin looks looked like a million bucks and i think he's a great uh he's a great guy to strap up the title look they had been building this for a while you could absolutely make the argument that this was the guy who was planned to take the title off of Jossa Alexander. You can absolutely make that argument. And I think it makes sense. This was fantastic. It ruled. Now, as this match began, Nick Aldis comes out to join commentary as the newest member of the Impact roster. Good for him. Good for Nick. I know a lot of people have been, oh, what a big move by Impact and so on and so forth. And it's, sure. And of course, you know, Nick Aldis, he's going to sell this as, you know, him being glad to be back. And this was his, you know, this is where he wanted to be and so on and so forth. But, you know, for the, he was, I think it's safe to say that he was waiting for answers from the other places. I'm 100% convinced. You know, it wouldn't have taken this long if this had been... And again, no disrespect, because I think Nick Aldis is going to be fine in Impact. I'll tell you why in a second. But if anyone believes that this was his first choice, that this was the place that he wanted to be from the get-go, it wouldn't have taken months for him to get there after leaving the National Wrestling Alliance. He would have just slid right in. But he was, he was ready for some, he was waiting for one of the two other places to drop something on the table for him. And I don't know, look, we don't know. We don't know. I, I'm not gonna pretend that I know how things were negotiated or, you know, how things went. Was he seriously being considered by one party and or was he just completely persona non grata? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. But I can tell you that this was probably not his first choice. This is probably not what he wanted. But he's going to be fine in Impact Pro Wrestling. And quite honestly, he'll probably be better there than if he was in AEW or the Fed. Because here he's going to be treated as a world champion. Look, he came he came in right after the match, after Macklin, you know, started doing bullshit. 
He came in to confront them. So he's going to be treated as a big deal. He's a former champion in Impact. You know, they acknowledged the, the, the NWA reigns. They would have done the same, let's say, in AEW. But what kind of main event spot does Nick Aldis have in All Elite Wrestling? He doesn't. No disrespect, but he's not a top guy in that company. And as for the Fed, I don't think it's the same. I don't think he's a top guy there either. Not with the way they have things set up right now. You know, everyone gets a crack at the title at some point. He would have probably had his moment, but he's not, you know, if he had aspirations of being a world champion in either of two, in either of those two promotions, I think there were pipe dreams from the start. So in Impact, however, he's absolutely credible. He's, he came in and, you know, he had, he had the big, big star return. And that's absolutely fine because it's kind of his home. It's where he belongs, if that makes sense. And I don't mean that, I don't mean that disparagingly. I think it makes sense for him to be there. And I don't think there's any other promotion that will treat him as fairly or as well as he will be treated in Impact Wrestling. I think it's, I think it's ultimately the best move for him. Makes a lot of sense. Otherwise, in the two other places, he's just another guy. He'll be lost in the shuffle. He doesn't. He, uh, he doesn't. He doesn't quite match up. Maybe Cody tried to get. You know, and there's the you know the 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 heat with Bruce Pritchard and all of that. I don't know how much that was. Uh, how much that weighed into the fact. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It was the most logical outcome. But it was probably not his first choice. It took too long. It took too long. Anyway, uh, match was fantastic. And then the main event, Deanna Perazzo defeated Jordan Grace to once again become Impact Knockouts World Champion. The title had been vacated by um, uh, Mickey James, who uh, was unfortunately injured as well. Hopefully, uh, she gets better very soon. We're thinking about you, Mickey. But here, um, just another fantastic, fantastic main event. It just absolutely ruled. Absolutely ruled. I'm telling you, this show. If Impact was more like these two matches and... If Impact had more Steve Macklin versus Kushida, more Deanna Perazzo versus Jordan Grace, and less Bully Ray, and less Santina Morella, I'd probably be uh, putting this in my rotation on a regular basis. I'm enjoying the pay-per-views. Don't get me wrong. Anyway, this ruled... Again, clash of styles, but of two women who have perfected each other's styles. Their styles, their own styles, not each other's styles, their own styles. <laughs> and, you know, Jordan Grace, a powerhouse hitting the jackhammer on the floor. I swear to God, though, at some point, you know, I know, here's the thing. I know in WWE, 
the commentators are the, they're pushed to use the nicknames, right? You know the you know uh, the original bro, and you know they'll use that over and over again. They'll just pound you over the head with that. The American Nightmare, blah 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 blah. Instead of just saying Rhodes or Riddles, the American you know, the American bro. I was going to call them. That's what the that's what their tag team is going to be called. But you know, just driving the the nicknames home. We get it. Her nickname is the Juggernaut. And I, commentary drove me nuts. Like, the juggernaut. Yes! It's not something that just rolls off the tongue and it's just like, juggernaut is three syllables. And it's such a specific word. It just drove me nuts. Stop calling her the juggernaut all the time. It's like, Grace, just go, Grace. Grace. We get it. We know that's her nickname. It's fine. Like the virtuosa, the vir- we get it. But this is a very WWE thing. That sometimes, because they're the market leader, it gets bled into other stuff. And look, you know, Tom and 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 Matt. Well, that's where they picked up their 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 their, their commentary chops, right? So, you know, it's like saying tag all the time. It's like there's something, some reflexes that are harder to get rid of. But look, I don't want to shit on commentary too much here. It just, it was a pet peeve, got under my nerves, but it did not keep me from enjoying this match. I tell, this is why I say, if this, if this crowd had been hotter, because they were privy to two outstanding matches and crickets at some point. I do not understand what was going on in Toronto that day. And they look, they fight into the crowd. They're moonsaulting off of the stage. Diana Peraza gets a Koji clutch in. Gets strikes and backfists, a spinning slam by Grace. Diana Peraza transitions to go for the Fujiwara armbar. Locks in the Venus de Milo instead. Spine buster by Grace. And she just dro- just keeps driving. Huge power moves on Peraza, who finally lands the Queen's Gambit for the win. And Christ, did she land it. Outstanding stuff. Just an outstanding, outstanding main event. And if if this is the type of match that the that promoters could allow their women to put on more on the other promotions, we wouldn't be in this mire right now as far as women wrestling goes in North America. If this were the showcases we could get on a regular basis, where we could allow talent to grow and shine like this and have these, these huge opportunities, I, we wouldn't be bitching. I wouldn't be sitting here bitching about the, the, the state of women's wrestling in North America, but it's not good. This was great. And it is, again, a, a, a testament that the women can main event, put on exciting matches, and get themselves over by the work. So Impact Rebellion is an absolute must-watch show. I thought this was great. If you like pro wrestling, you, and honestly, the 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 the, the handicap match and the hardcore war match, uh, you know, as much as you know, I shrugged and this ain't for me. Nothing was enough to deter me for from 
uh, uh, the amount of fun I had watching the show. They just, the match just happened and I was like, okay. I don't like this, but it, it doesn't matter because I, I, I've just been surrounded by great pro wrestling. This was a great show. Highly recommend it. You should go out of your way to watch it. Absolutely positively. And on that note, we are going to wrap up the weekly wrestling inspection. Well, there you have it. We're done. Kaput. Hit the bricks. I get out of here. The theater's closed. <laughs> We're done with tonight's recording of the Mr. Warren Hayes show. But hey, listen, listen very closely to what I have to say. If you're still watching on YouTube right now, thank you so much for hanging out to the very end. Consider giving a, a, a like and a subscription to the channel. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcast application, one final plea for a review on a five-star review, mind you, on Apple Podcasts and a five-star rating on Spotify. And, uh, uh, and join the Mr. Warren Hayes Show Discord if you want to talk more about pro wrestling. Go read my stuff, my, my SWOT analysis of CM Punk over on VoicesOfWrestling.com. I've got all sorts of great stuff coming up uh, over the next uh, few days. I hope you guys and gals and non-binary pals are all here for it. But in the meantime, thank you all. Regardless, thank you all for joining me, for listening to all of these ramblings. And I will see you on Thursday. <laughs>